I'm Jeff Smith, and welcome to The Secrets of Success. Throughout my life, I've been fascinated by one single question, and it's how do successful people become successful? What is it that makes that big difference in our lives? Over the last 40 years, I've interviewed rich people, famous people and many millionaires to find out their secrets of success and I want to share them here with you. Of course, success is not always measured in money and in these programs I'm looking at success in many different kinds of walks of life. I want to find out what makes them tick, how they overcame adversity and how they kept on going and I want to extract those magical nuggets of wisdom so that you too can implement the secrets of success into your own life. In today's episode, I'm talking with Jeanne Omlour. Jeanne is a resilient lady who's gone from being down and out on the streets of Paris and London to making mm -hmm. her first $1 million in just 17 months. But her journey wasn't as easy as you first might think. She's been... A fashion designer, she became an actress, moved on to be a top executive recruiter in Wall Street, became a professional coach, professional speaker, got divorced and ended up as a single mom with two kids to look after. She found herself in deep debt at the age of 54. And then finally, she found her magic formula. She said it's never too late. And then she made $2 million in three years. This is going to be an incredible story of resilience, fighting for survival and finding yourself when everything was almost lost. So let's bring in the amazing lady herself. Welcome to the show, Jeanne Amlora. Thank you, Jeff. Great to be here. I feel like we should take the violins out while you were doing my intro. <laughs> I... <laughs> I don't think the violins, I think, uh, a fanfare, Jean. Well, you're looking wonderful. It's great to have you here today. You're looking amazing. So how are you? How are you? I'm doing amazing. We came off some wonderful, wonderful holidays. Oh, good. Cool. Okay, well, I can't wait to find out about your life, how you made your first $1 million. But before we do that, I want to find out about more about you, Jean. So three questions to get us going. Where were you born? What was life like for you as a child? And what were your dreams and aspirations as you were growing up? Okay, I was born in California, in the Bay Area. Um, and then we actually moved to Australia when I was seven. I don't know if you know that. Um, and what was life? Well, we, we, I'm from a large family of 10 children. Wow. So, so yeah, um, very, very good parents. So, but a lot of mayhem with 10 children and a lot of ups and downs because uh, we, my, we lost all of our money. We were fairly well off and then we lost it overnight in some uh, futures. So then we went from well off to, you know, cutting coupons. So there was that, that was something that happened in our life that was like a rupture, you know, which, you know, affects your money story. Um, and what were my aspirations? Actually, I remember when I was 13 saying that I'm, I'm going to be an actress. And then I, I ended up being an actress after doing some other things. 
<laughs> okay. I remember telling one of my men, my, my teachers, he said, what do you want to do when you're, you know, I was 13. I said, I think I'll, and to be facetious, I said, I think I'll be an actress and I'll start in something like, you know, Gone with the Wind as a starter. <laughs> <laughs> Frankly, my <But> dear. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you went through school, you went to college and you did fashion design. So why? Well, um, I'm very artistic and um, my parents were not going to let me do acting. So I thought, well, you know, that's not going to work. Not now. And, and I was very interested in design and also costumes and the, the, the history of fashion fascinated me and, and how people adorn themselves and, and why and all of that. And I love fabric and I love also the, the science of how we create, create fabrics. All of that really fascinated is me as well. And also the fact that I saw, um, you know, fashion as wearable art that's how i saw it because i was also thinking of doing fine arts and i thought well i'm not really probably going to make i was pretty sensible i thought well, i'm probably not going to make a good living out of that you know <laughs> so but but I, i'm really good at this and and so that's what made me do it okay so why did you stop well actually i didn't like the industry i i uh, started i was pretty talented designer i'd won some awards even in college and I moved to another city from Perth all the way to Melbourne because that was the fashion center. And I just didn't, this was, you know, I'm, I'm 57. So this was late eighties. It was just a lot of people, you know, their only aspiration was to drive a BMW and, and sniff ecstasy. And I was, I'm so not into drugs. I've never taken a drug in my life. I mean, nothing, not one. And that was just not, I thought this is really not what I want. I have bigger aspirations than waiting till I'm 32 because I thought that was old uh, to, you know, to be driving a BMW and going to these parties where, where I, I, I'm not them. And also I just didn't like the nastiness. There's a lot of nastiness and backbiting in the industry, which I, I already um, was experiencing. And I was very sensitive and I thought, you know, I just really want to travel. So then I gave everything away and I went backpacking like most Australians do. <laughs> Even turned up in England for a while. <laughs> yeah. So before you got to England, which other countries did you visit? Um, my first stop was Hong Kong because I had a friend who was in Hong Kong. And then I went to Thailand. And then I went to Bristol because I had a friend that I had met in Bristol in Australia. Typical story. And actually, um, I was waitressing in Bristol. They have these historical restaurants on the pier where Long John Silver used to hang out. You know those restaurants? I do indeed. I actually, what time of year there. did you arrive in Bristol? I was, I was there right before Christmas. Oh, so man, that's a big temperature actually, change then. It was, huh? it was really actually fun. And we went to Bath and we bath and all that. And um, and it was fun because I actually got a, a very you know casual um waitressing job in one of the oldest restaurants in bristol on the pier there where long john silver was supposed to have gone as you know just over their christmas break sir you know serving their christmas dinners with the puds and all that you know yeah pudding yeah so that was my first big stop was bristol and then i went to london okay but you went to bath before that then no we just visited bath oh you just visited i i ask because i used to work there for a number of years and, oh. and the history in Bath is amazing. Yes. So um, yes. there's lots and lots of history from the Romans and things like that. So Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. So yes. then, you, then you get to London. What? How old were you now? Oh, goodness. I'm very bad at ages. I think I was 25. Yeah, I was around 25. Okay. Yeah. So London welcomes you. What happened? 
Well, then I actually, I had already started studying acting when I was in Melbourne. And so I thought, let's also go to London. And I, so I did some further like Shakespearean acting studies at actually University of London, not, not full time, but you know, cause I, I didn't want to go back to college. I just, that was not, I, I don't, I never wanted to be one of these eternal students. I, I want to be out there in life. So I, I did a lot of different studies here and there. And then I, I, um, actually got a role in a play there. I was in, in a Shakespearean play, The Tempest. And then I just sort of, you know, got part-time jobs. And then I thought, you know, I actually want to do some more traveling. So from there, I took off and traveled to Greece and, you know, different places. And you ended up in New York, I believe. Why not? <laughs> then, well, then I lived in Paris. For, then I, you know, went went home to Australia a couple of times. And, and then I went, ended up moving to Paris for six years. And then after that, I went to New York. Okay. So what happened in Paris? Oh, Paris, it was, you know, it was really like down and it really was like when you said down and out, you know, you know, the, um, um, but I was an actress there and I also did translating and I, I learned French in four months because I just wanted to. And I decided I was going to learn French and I immersed myself and I refused to speak with my English speaking friends in English at all. I had a headache every night just from the gymnastics in your brain, you know, and then I did some acting and I taught English and I was a translator and, and just, you know, sort of had a pretty bohemian life in Paris. I lived in a garret, like Mimi in La Bohème. <laughs> <laughs> so you're acting then. What kind of acting did you like to do? Well, I did a lot of very experimental theatrical acting. So very cutting edge, um, sort of, you know, weird acting, but, but very experimental and, and physical acting and things like that. That was kind of my thing. And also some Shakespearean and classical. Okay. So we're acting in London, we're acting in Paris, we're still having a wonderful time, bohemian, as you say, footloose, fancy free, doing as you yeah, wish. But broke, broke. It wasn't fun being broke, actually. It was kind of fun <laughs> at first to be broke because it's sort of romantic. Because yeah, yeah. it's a very romantic kind of like, um, <laughs> you know, I read all the, I'd read all the classics by the time I was you know, all the different national classics, like Russian, German, French, English, I went through all the classics. So I was a very classically self classically trained reader. So, um, and I enjoyed that. So I had a very sort of romantic outlook. Oh, wouldn't that be romantic to be poor in Paris? Well, it's kind of fun, but after, you know, a little bit, it's not fun at all. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know, like that. It's sort of fun, kind of not, but I knew a lot of very interesting artists and that was what the bohemian part was that I was as poor as a church mouse, but I was, you know, invited to chateaus for these artists, you know, <laughs> it was a very interesting life I had. And I, would, I wouldn't actually, even though that was not easy, I would not exchange that experience for anything. Well, it's our experiences that make us into the people we are today, that's for sure. Mm. So you're in Paris, you're broke, having fun, and then you decide... After six years, yes, yeah, this is not for me. I think I'll go to New York. Yes, that's so, exactly what I thought. Yeah, like I, and actually, the funny thing was, I was living. Um, I'd always kept trying to get papers in Paris because they would change the laws here and there and have certain sorts of amnesties. And I'd always I had a friend who was a lawyer and he's like, OK, now we're going to he goes, oh, that didn't apply to you. And we're always trying to get me to be legal and not an, an illegal alien. And I just thought, you know what? I just want to pay tax. And then I thought, I just want to go somewhere where I'm legit, 
and I want to go to London. I want to go to New York because there is more acting there. And at that point, I was already like 32. And, you know, it's already kind of too late to make it in New York, right, as an actor. But nevertheless, I thought, you know what? I need to be legit. I'm going to go back to the country I was born in. I'm going to um, have more of a chance of at least getting some acting work in English, you know, because there's a small English acting community in Paris. But I, I did get some work, but they're all fighting for it, you know. And um, they're fighting for it in New York, but there's more. And I thought, I just want to pay taxes. So I moved to New York. And believe it or not, because I had not been back to New in the States since I was born, I had no Social Security number. And I thought, this is so funny. I have to apply for a Social Security number. And, I, and, and it was sort of funny to me that I had to fight for that and prove that I was American. And I thought, what? Is it nothing easy? So I finally, they're like, yeah, we want you to pay taxes. And I remember my first boss, I was working, I got a job working part-time as an executive recruiter. I don't know how they hired me, but he did. And he said, I've never heard anybody in my life say, I want to pay taxes. And I said, well, you don't understand. It means you belong somewhere. And also, I do believe it's our, our duty to pay taxes, actually. Um, the, the French wouldn't take my taxes <laughs> because I wasn't you know, legal. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been in trouble. <laughs> so... There you are. Those are my dark secrets. Okay. Um, so a little bit off how, how, how old were you at this stage? I was 32 when I moved to New York. 32. I won't ask the number of countries you'd visited or the cities that you were in for a while. Mm -hmm. But here's an interesting one. Where do you think was home? That is a very interesting question that I ask myself a lot, not because I'm sitting there asking myself because I just feel it. Mm -hmm. And what I've come to the conclusion of is that where I grew up, which is Perth, that is a home for me. Um, my parents passed away, so it's less of a home. I still have family there. But when my mother passed away last year and we sold the family home, I just got goosebumps. That became less of home because that was the anchor, was my mother and our family home. Mm. So yes, still kind of home because I grew up there and I still have some you know sisters and brothers there and lots of nieces and nephews. So that was one and that was where I always went back. I always knew I could go back to home. So my home plate, home base was wiped out of my life last year. Okay. And, and it affected a few of us who also live overseas because we were like, wow, we have no home base that we just always think that's home, we can go home. So that's still home sort of. But I would say that the, the, the other part that, that will always have a real big place in my heart is Paris. Paris and also New York, because I, I no longer live in New York. So Paris, New York, and Perth are the three homes I have. And now where I live in Florida is a new home. We love it here, and I'm sure this will become our new home as well. We'll have four homes. Okay. Were you close with you, Mom? Yes. I mean, I wasn't as close as I could be because I didn't live in the same city as my family and they were bewildered as to why but i never in those days i didn't like living in australia it's changed a lot but it wasn't my destiny and there wasn't the 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 market and the people and the art and everything and the you know really interesting people you'll meet in very large cities like london paris new york right and i'm sort of an artist at heart and i was always fascinated i guess i collect people but i was always fascinated at the people i met and their stories and and all of that was very exciting for me and i'm still excited when i meet interesting people fascinating you know the question of home always has fascinated me 
And I think when you lose your parents, as you say, it makes such a difference too. Mm. Yeah. The place, the place, the, also the fact there was, there's no house to go to. It's mm. always staying at my sister's or my brother's or, or, or wherever, but it's not the family homestead. It's gone. Yeah. Mm. So where, where do you live now? Where do you reside? I live in a beautiful Clearwater Bay in Florida. And actually, I'm looking at the bay as we speak right now because oh, I have this secret. I love water. I love water views. And when we were in Cincinnati, I lived right on a lake. Like our our home was 10 feet. Our, our front door was 10 feet from the lake. It was right there. And my office was 10 feet from the lake. So this is a little bit more than 10 feet. It's probably like more like... I don't know, 120 feet <laughs> from the bay. That's still pretty nice, though. Yeah, uh, yeah. Beautiful. So water, and they've done studies on this, that looking at water even 17 seconds changes your, your mindset to a place of calm and, and um, uh, balance. So I already figured that out naturally because I just love water. Yeah, me too. When, uh, when my wife and I go on vacation, I always insist on a high mm -hmm. floor, a bal nice. balcony mm -hmm. overlooking water. There you go. And, and serenity, quiet. Because and my goal was to be on vacation every day of my life. And absolutely, we yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're working, and I'm thinking I could be in the pool right now. So my goal <laughs> was every day is a vacation. And and my daughters love living here. So so I I succeeded in that, not having to wait for vacation. Okay. So moving it on, then we're a recruiter on Wall Street. And then you become a coach and speaker. Right. So right. another big change. So a huge gap though. I must say it's a huge gap because okay. I was in New York for 19 years. And um, I guess I had been there already. Let me see. I can't I can't work it out. Let me see. That would be I think I, I started coaching eleven years ago. So yeah. Um, and then I, I so I can't really work it out because so that would have been five. So I guess I'd already been in New York 14 years when I became a coach. Okay. Something like that. Okay. Something like that. Well, the, t the timing is important on this because then not such a nice thing happens. You get divorced. Life has to start again. You find yourself in deep debt. And mm. then that brings us to the main point of our story now in that you're on your own, you've got deep debts, you've got two kids to look after, and then it's, well, now what? <laughs> you're good at this. That was it. It was now what? <laughs> we had then moved to Cincinnati, um, and it was a new market, and it's not like New York. It's not a hot market, because in New York, I could just go networking, and people were like, oh, you're amazing. I'm going to hire you. Uh, the Midwest is different. Let's just put it that way. So, um and I was even an ambassador at the chambers and all sorts of stuff. So it wasn't it wasn't for lack of trying, you know. I'm a beast when it comes to getting out there and doing what I need to do. You know, I don't sit around. But one day I woke up. This was three and a half years ago. And I just thought, I, I need to do something. Because this is just, mind you, this was 2019 before COVID. It was providential. That I did this before because I don't know where I'd be right now if I hadn't gotten my ducks in a row over COVID, right? So I woke up one morning and I just thought, I, what am I doing? I'm 54 years old. In the back of my mind for years, I always knew that I should be a very big success. 
Somehow I knew that. I'd never been a very big success. I was successful on Wall Street, but it's not, you know, successful as a recruiter is not really the kind of success that, that I was looking for. I was looking for big success, something where I felt not out of ego, where I felt like there was something within me that was being wasted. I thought, why? Because I've done a lot and I'm talented at lots and I'm not completely dumb. And I thought, what? And I'm very capable. I think that the, the main thing I have is I have grit. And they figured out that people can be even dumber than other people and have grit and be more successful. And I know that because I'm not the smartest person in the whole world. That's for sure. So I'm like, you know what? What what is going on? I, I'm 54, and I know I have this within me. So what's going to happen? What how's this going to reality check, Jean? How's this going to play out? Of course, we had to get over like you know trauma and make sure we had certain mindset things to deal with the the divorce. Not the the it was more about the the lawsuits and everything. But anyway, so I was like. If not now, and I asked myself, I was lying there and I thought, wait, whoa, reality check. I'm 54. If I don't do something now, when will I? If not now, when? And that thought shocked me. I thought, wait, wait, whoa, let's run that by again. I was lying there. I thought, wait, not now, when? Never. It's going to be never because I'll be 54. I'll be 55. I'll be 56, 7, 8. I'll be 60. And then am I really going to get all of a sudden get a lot of energy when I'm 60, like an injection of, you know, this energy to now. So I thought really what I needed to do before the divorce happened, and I knew this, I was just about to get online, um, was I need to get online. That's that's it. And I knew it. But then all this stuff happened and it sort of set me back maybe four years. So, but you know what? I, I really... Maybe three, three and a half, or three, I don't know. And I thought, I need to do something. So I got out of bed, and I thought, I need to find an online course. Mind you, I knew nothing about online marketing. I was not visible online. I had no following, and I hated social media because I was an introvert type that just would go to networking events, and people would see me in person. That was my thing because, you know, once they meet me, it's like, oh, you know, you know the highest resonance of meeting somebody in person. So I went and I started doing some research and somehow I found this program, which was not the best program, I must say. But my thinking was I need to find a 10K program because that will have a higher caliber of people in it as mastermind because, you know, the whole think and grow rich thing is surround yourself with some kind of a group or mastermind. Okay. So I thought, okay, I'm going to do this. And I, I did a little bit of market research. And one woman said to me who was in it, I said, would you just tell me a little bit about this? She goes, look, people die in there. She goes, there's no support. She goes, it's really not working for everybody, but I think it will work for you after talking with you, your personality. I think it will work for you. I, th I think it's worth it. And she took a risk telling a broke mom to actually invest in another 10K. And I actually really admired her for that, for saying what she thought no matter what. Because that was a big decision and she knew it and she was willing to tell me that. She was a divorce coach, actually. Um, no, a, a relationship coach. But we were just talking, you know, about this. She goes, I think this would, I, she goes, I, have, I think this is going to work for you. I said, okay, I'm doing it. They didn't help me. There was no support, but I figured stuff out because I had to. And that made me stronger. And after eight weeks, I got my first high ticket client for 5K online. We danced around our house. We were crying because my daughters saw what I went through. And then I got two more. So I made 15K in one week after eight weeks of nothing. Oh, awesome. Yes. Right. I want to backtrack a little of a couple of sure. things that you said. So if not now, then when? Mm. And the the way you said it 
well, you said it three times mm-hmm. and it stopped you in your tracks when you were saying it. It wasn't just, oh, if not now, then when? Mm. So it was something that happened in your life and you were anchored to that. So mm-hmm. what was happening at the time that you got that thought? Where were you? What were you doing? What was well, going on? I was, I was in bed. I woke up and I thought, and I'd also, I didn't tell you this part. I'd also made a bad investment, which was had caused me a lot of anxiety. So I was like, wow. And I thought, oh, I get it. I get it. I finally get it. God wants me to bet on myself again, because you see that investment was supposed to be to get the money for that program. I was trying to like, you know, do a little deal like, oh, what if I get this investment, sell it, and then I'm not going into deeper debt. And you know how things happen when you don't believe in yourself enough and you don't risk even more. And I sat there and I thought, oh, I'm finally getting it. I get it. I'm being called. I'm being called to even bet on myself double down. And I thought, I'm doing it. Now, anybody else would have thought, wait, you're in deep debt. What the heck are you doing here? Okay, even my sister-in-law and my brother were like, oh, you just invested 10K. Okay, you know, <laughs> because who would do that? But it was, I thought, I have to do this because if I don't, I will not ever do this. I will go back into fear and blah, blah, blah. And I thought, nope, it's so bad now. The situation is so bad. How much worse can it be? What's another 10K? I'm already in deep, deep debt. And actually, it kind of like made it less because percentage wise, it wasn't that bad. (laughs) The more, you know what I mean? It's all all percentage wise. I'm already this much in debt. What's another 10K? Oh, well, at least, you know, but it wasn't like, oh, well, I'm going to try it. It's like this must work, not just because of the money, but because I knew that if that didn't work, I'd be like, well, what do I do now? Now I'm going to invest another 10, 20, 30. And I knew I couldn't keep doing that online. I thought, okay. This program, I have to be the best success in this program. And I was. I was literally one of their best success stories ever because of me. Because I thought this must work. And, you know, I was like, this has to work because I have nowhere to go now. I'm not going to get a job because I had two kids and I'm not going to, I can't finish the job and go pick them up. And by the way, when you have not worked for years, and even if you're highly skilled, we both know you're not going to get a good job, right? It's like, you're going to just get any old job. What will then happen? Then I'll be depressed and my kids will see a depressed mother because that was a big part of it, Jeff, was I was also thinking I need to model success for my daughters and happiness and joy and fulfillment and loving our lives. I cannot be that mom. And they never knew we were in hardship. Later on, my eldest said, she goes, I never knew you were in debt because they always had nice food and a nice place to live. We did have a very rusty Jeep, but that that did not register with them. It was just, oh, she just kept this old car. You know, I actually bought a rusty Jeep after having to sell my Mercedes. So, um, you know, they they were young and they didn't piece together that maybe my mom doesn't want to drive a rusty Jeep that's 20 years old, you know? So it was like 18 years old. So, so that was it too. It was also what I know about like Jungian psychology, the one thing that Jung ever said that made such a huge impression on me was nothing impacts or affects, I think he said, nothing affects the life of a child more than the unlived life of the mother. That is something that I never forgotten. I thought, okay, I have to model for them happiness, success, um, also security, and all that. Because, you know, they're still feeling stress. They're feeling it, kids. So that's why there was all of that really that is amazing you know so 
God was calling you, you say. It was like an epiphany, I will say. I won't say there was a voice because I'm named after St. Joan of Arc. So I'm not going to say there was a voice in my head. I will just say the thought was, the thought, the realization hit me. Let's put it that way. Yeah, but, but you've reframed this position in that you were called, you say, by God, by the universe, whomever, and you were forced, if you will, to, say, to have some skin in the game. Mm, so again yeah yeah absolutely and do you think looking back if you were not forced into that position that you would do you think you'd still have the mindset to have been as successful on that course um i do actually to be really honest and i know people think i'm going to say no um this, Did I try this, this is why I'm asking you, because mm. I can tell I by your personality. Yeah. Yes. The thing is, I think I might not have been as successful as quickly because I was in a state of desperation. And I, I, I had such high anxiety that it had to work. I almost had an anxiety attack because even though this is all going on, I always made sure my kids went to to, on vacation and summer camp. So I drove to a summer camp while my kids were in summer camp and I, I went to a, a co-working space. And then I drove from there. For, I thought, we're on the road anyway. Let's do a road trip for a few days. I thought, it's only three days, but I almost had an anxiety attack in a hotel in New Mexico when we were visiting our, our, our relatives there because I thought, oh, this is not working. And one of my colleagues said, just breathe and just, just you'll get back to it. I know you. He was very good. He said, I know you. It's just three days. He said, it sounds like an eternity because we are on, it was a 10-week program. And I said, I'm wasting three days. He goes, just breathe and try to enjoy it. So I did. I breathe and I just put it aside. And I thought, my kids need to have this vacation without a stressed out mom. So I, 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 I did it. I got calm. We had a good time because, you know, moments in life are important. And single moms especially, they are the most stressed out people in America. And probably Britain, but I just know the, the we, and I thought, I don't want to be one of the most stressed out people in America. So I already know, thought, I don't want to be that person. So I'm always conscious of that. You know, parents are stressed anyway, but single moms are. I thought, I don't want them to remember. And when we talk about our vacations, they don't know I was going through any stress. They just had a great time every time because we talk about it. I want to see what their impressions were. Oh, that was so fun. I don't say, did you know I was stressed? But clearly they didn't know because I was really good at just putting that aside for the moment. Yeah. Here's what I think. So I still think you would still have been successful understanding mm -hmm. the person that you are, but I think the bad investments and having to find another 10K, doubling down, it forced you to make change happen faster. However, I think I would have been a success way quicker because I would have gotten online way quicker and figured stuff out if the whole kerfuffle had not happened in the life change. Does that yeah, make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had, yeah. To now, I had to now catch up yeah. quickly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. My only regret, actually, my only regret is that I did not get online sooner. And this, this actually fuels my desire to help other coaches to just do it quickly. And sometimes I'm on a sales call and I'm just thinking, please just do this, you know, because if I had had the chance to do this years earlier, because I spent eight years struggling in my coaching business. If I'd known what I what I started knowing three years ago, it, it, time, time is what I regret, losing time. That's what I regret. That's the only regret in my life because, and I don't sit there regretting it. I'm just saying, if I'm really honest, 
even though I don't regret, you know, like, you know, like, like, Edith Piaf, je ne regrette rien. But if I did go into that and I was like, well, if I did regret, if I did do, if I did do regret, it'd be losing time because you can't get time back. And that's really the only thing that you can't get back is time. Sure, sure. Well, okay, let's get to the crux of this thing. You hated social media. You didn't have any presence, but you knew you had to get online. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That sounds like a paradox, right? Okay, so what does getting online mean? What was this 10K course all about? Okay, first of all, most of the course was something that I didn't even need. Most of it was about how to run ads, and I thought that you had to run ads. I was so naive and I had such a low sophistication level about marketing. I didn't even know there was something called organic marketing. Organic? I said, is that like carrots? Because I'm all into organic. (laughs) I am. I thought, well, that's really aligned because I'm so into organic food and my kids ate organic no matter how poor I was. So, um, so that was, I thought, okay, what's this? And I thought, oh, oh, wow. I thought I was going to do ads, but actually no, scratch the ads. Those, that's a money pit. I figured that out right away. thought this organic thing that I can do, like just by talking to people, because I'm really good at talking to people, I'm really good at communication as my whole life was communication. But that's, that's my golden, that's it. That's the genius zone right there. So I figured that out right away. And I thought, oh, that I'm going to run with. And I'm going to be way better than they are because it was an aside. That was the aside in their program. And I took the aside and made that everything and made that my specialty. So getting online meant getting on any platform. So I started with Facebook. I had no followers. I had like 20 friends from Australia because they said, could you please get on Facebook? Because we want to, you know, call you for free, you know, and text you for free. I thought, sure. And actually one of my Canadian friends years ago, it was when I was pregnant with my first daughter. So this is 16 years ago. She goes, oh, you're going to get on Facebook. I said, Facebook, what is that? Facebook, what is that? I remember I said that to her. Yeah. And she said, you don't know it. I said, yeah, because I didn't, I wasn't, I I was really not into, I was sort of into not being on media all the time because I was that person that would do even not watching the news and we didn't have a TV and I was really into more artistic and reading and preserving my, my, my mind. Right. And I thought we didn't have a TV. And I said, really, what's that? She goes, you don't know what Facebook she goes, no. She goes, could you please get on it? Because it would just, we wouldn't have to call each other and it's costing us money. And I said, um, okay. So for her, I got on social media. And then I thought, oh, you know what? Let's, my Australian friend saw me on, oh, that's great. You're on there because we didn't think you were ever going to be on here because you're the anti-social person because I'm an introvert and they all know it. So that was the irony. What is that? I said, literally, what is that? Facebook. What is this Facebook team? So then I, and then I thought, okay, I guess I got to use Facebook. And it was really hard for me because I'm an introvert. And I was like, oh, so I am a testimony. I'm a walking miracle of somebody that is not having, you know, a, a propensity towards something or a talent for it. It's I'm going to do this no matter what. And it's kind of like, you don't like social media. So what? You're an introvert. So what? I mean, I was an actress and I was an introvert. So what? You know, my knees used to shake when I was on stage. I got over so much self-consciousness to even be an actress. That was hard. So I'd done that before. And I thought, well, I did it before. And I I used to hide when people came to our house when I was young, you know, hide behind chairs, hide behind my mom. I was very shy. So this can be learned. You know, I got a waitressing job and I was shaking the first time I actually took the order when I was 17, but I understood the value of the development in forcing myself to go get a waitressing job. And that was the reason I did it. 
That was the whole reason. My dad was like, you're, you are going to, yep. And after a few months, I was just so talkative and it was, I learned. So what I learned young was you can learn. And also I picked up psychocybernetics at the age of 17 and it changed my life. That's my favorite, favorite book ever with self-development changed my life. My dad had it in his library. He didn't know I was going through his books. I mean, he let me, but he didn't know I picked it up. So the point is that getting online meant just, I'm doing this. I got to do this. And everybody that was on my Facebook, like, what are you doing now? Oh, oh, you're doing some coaching on there. Okay. You know, and not being afraid of what people think. At this point, I didn't care what people thought. I had to make a living. And that helps a lot. That helps sort that out right away, right? So it was really just starting to get people to know me from scratch. Nobody knew me. They didn't know I was a pretty successful offline coach, you know, when I got the clients offline. You know, I was really good at it. I used to coach CEOs and other brick and mortars, but it was just getting the critical mass. And it was also all one-on-one, which is really time-consuming. So so that was it. And I was just like, going to start from scratch. And, you know, and it took me, I was already at 30K months before I could get myself to do a Facebook Live. Everybody's like, why aren't you doing Facebook Lives? I thought, oh, why? Why not? <gasps> Uh-oh, I'm afraid of it. I'm doing it. So I was in Ikea when I thought, wait, I'm afraid of this. I'm doing it. And I picked my phone up in Ikea restaurant and did my first Facebook Live with people walking in the background. <laughs> okay, right. You say you want to get online. We've done some organic marketing. We'll explain what organic marketing is in a moment. But, Jean, what is it that you do then? I help with my team, coaches and consultants, and certain service providers like digital marketers or uh, copywriters, people that can use the same methods. We help them to get clients online through social media platforms without running ads. Okay. It's all high ticket. So we help people to believe in themselves enough to charge high ticket. Okay. So now is a good time to explain what is organic marketing? So organic marketing is marketing through social media. And even a podcast can be organic marketing because you're not paying for ads. So this is another form of organic marketing. Um, Mainly what I help with though, and also emails are organic marketing because you're not paying. Um, It is to help people to position themselves on, let's say, you know, you could have a choice. So, I help people on three platforms specifically at the moment, Facebook, LinkedIn, or Instagram. Why? Because I became a master at one, and then I integrated another and became a master at that, and then I integrated another. And what I figured out is all coaches and consultants, every single one, can get clients on one of these platforms, okay? So say you're an executive coach, you would be on LinkedIn, okay? So you would need LinkedIn, you would probably not be on LinkedIn, uh, on Facebook or Instagram. However, you could be on one of those as well. Okay. You could be on one or two or all three like I am. Now there's many other platforms. There's Twitter, there's YouTube, there's TikTok, there's Pinterest, there's others. Okay. So you don't have to do them all. And I'm, I'm not teaching all of them because that's just a lot of shiny objects. However, some people crush it on Twitter. Great. That's like their main thing. Some people crush it. YouTube's great. Next time I'm going I'm to conquer YouTube. Some people crush it on YouTube. So what I do is I help people to do one first, to master one, because what makes money is focus. What doesn't make money is trying to do 10 different things at once because you cannot master 10 things at once. A human being cannot do that. 
In fact, you can't even, did you know why the clowns get one plate in the air and then another and then another? Do you know why? No, I don't. Because it is actually impossible to get two plates up at the same time. Your, your brain can't do it. Oh. And that is why you get one plate spinning and it's completely spinning. And it's, that's mastery. You get one spinning. Great. It's spinning. Good. We're good. Then we get the other one because this one won't drop. And that's what people do is they, they drop their efforts. They turn around and drop efforts on what's working to then start at getting another plate, but that other plate dropped. So that's great analogy for how I coach. It is about integration. One plate spinning really well, master. Next plate spinning really well, master. Three plates. I don't know how many can get three plates up because then they have to have two in one hand. <laughs> so, yeah. Some of the clowns I think can do it. I don't know. So, so that's like getting online and then, you know, getting into, I was in Facebook groups where people did not know me. And I started creating powerful content that I, that I figured out, like what kinds of content and what works. So part of what we coach people on is also content and what works and being authority and there's different types of posts. So I started getting known in groups and people loved my content. And then they go to my, my, you know, my, my, uh, my profile and then they see the content on there. And so, so that was how I started. And people would say, how did I never know you before? You know, because I popped out out of the blue. So um, but you know, having said that, I had coached for a while offline, but I did not know how to do the online thing. It was all new to me. Okay, so there's people listening here that will be thinking, okay, let's master one of them. It could be Facebook, it could be LinkedIn, it could be Insta. It doesn't doesn't matter which. We'll pick LinkedIn if you wish. Mm-hmm. You decide to go on LinkedIn. You decide to focus. You decide to get this plate spinning. How do you get that from zero to monetize it to be a million dollars in 17 months, which is what you did? What I did, yes. Well, and actually, that. i got to tell you something. Some of my clients have done better than me. Okay. Because, I, because I figured stuff out and I, I created a little, little. I mean, you know, I do believe there are some shortcuts, right? There, there, there is a way of fast tracking and people go, there's no shortcuts. Well, actually, there kind of are. There kind of are. You know, if, you, if I spent months figuring something out and I say, here, Here's, here's the analysis. Go do that. I've, I've created a shortcut, right? Right? Yeah, because I've learned from my yeah. I'm saying, hey, that doesn't work. That, this works. This works. And we're dialing it in more and more and more, right? Um, so one of my clients got to 91,000 in one month, 91K. I mean, there, were, there was a, a year I only made 10K the whole year when I was, you know, doing the offline coaching, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, that's pretty good. The first month coming in. Right. So how we do it is we we my whole team, we get very clear. First of all, when you are selling something, it is so important to be clear on what that potato is. Like I call it a potato. So like here's an example of and when you think of things in like a physical form, it's easier for people that can't get their minds around like like, you know, this sort of intangible or online organic. So I try to always pull it down to something physical. So let's say you have, a, you know, this is a potato. It's really a mouse, but let's call it potato. You know, there's people that sell those hot potatoes in, in Britain from the, the stalls on the streets. They still do that. They still yeah. do. Yeah. Okay. So they're selling that potato over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. There's one potato and there might be a bit of a different topping because mm-hmm. of the cheese or beans or whatever they're putting on it. Right. I yep. just like the ones with the beans and the cheese, the big beans and cheese ones. I like that one. Anyway. So, um, can you tell I grew up in Australia? So so they're selling over and over and over and over and over again, right? They're not now one day selling crepes and then a potato another day and then high hamburgers and hot dogs, right? If they did, they'd probably make a lot less money. Why? Because those people that like their spuds, 
They're going to going to go back and get that spud every day. They're going to be like, what? Now this is confusing. Now I'm confused. They might be able to integrate something new bit by bit, but if they just, they would actually lose money. I'm convinced. So what we do is we get the first potato, one offer that they can sell over and over again. And I make that high ticket. So now the brain of my client is like, wait, I have one thing I'm going to sell over. Oh, awesome. That's so easy. Instead of this program and 10 and this and this confusion does not sell. It also doesn't sell for the person selling it. Now that's a sales maxim. And I know you're a sales pro, so you know what I'm saying, right? If the person's selling it, confused about their offer, how on earth are we going to convey that to somebody who's already not clear? And then now there's double confusion. Now we've got one of those cumulus clouds going on. Those are the really like hazy ones, right? So, so that's it. It's really getting something simple to begin with that you can simple, same price over and over. You find your market. They really want it. They love it. They need it. They're going to pay it. So it's a marriage, marriage of the potato with the person that wants to eat spud. Okay. And you just keep doing that until you, you're bringing already critical mass in because say that's 5k like I had when I started. Now it's more because I have a whole team and we are just like rich rock stars at this now. The, the level of investment's gone up because the level of results has really gone up. So mine was five. I sold three, I had 15K in one month. Most people don't make 15K in one week, actually. Most people don't make, you know, some coaches make, like me, they only make 15K in the whole year. So now I made 15K. I had to pinch myself. That now changed my mindset because now I'm normalizing my numbers. And there's the psychology of normalizing numbers now that that's now normal. So I work a lot with my clients on that too, because you, 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 you get the success, then you normalize it. Great. Now you, 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 you recognize it. You celebrate it. So I'm not saying not to recognize. You have to celebrate your successes. Be grateful, then move on. Don't rest on your laurels. Okay. So then, so then I was making the next month, I made 30K. So now my brain's like, wait, I made 30K? Like a 30K year used to be a good year for me. Of course, I had made a 100K year once. That was the best I'd done. But then the divorce happened. Okay, so, um, which does slow you down. Let's let's recognize that, right? Um, so then I'm like, okay, I made 30K. Next month, I made 40K. This is how it went. 15K one week, last week of that month. Next month, 30K. Month after that, I made 40K. The month after that, I made 50K. That was December 2019. Okay. Guess what happened three months later? Can you remember? No, I can't remember. The big, the big pandemic happened. Really? Oh, and yeah. I won't mention I... the name because when you mention the name <laughs> on the podcast, it actually, did you know that actually makes your ratings go down? Did you know that? Did I not? Sorry, I was laughing then. I didn't hear you say again. Did you know when you mentioned the word of the pandemic that it actually makes the ratings go down? Yeah. Uh, that's why I didn't say the word. The, yeah, yeah the, I don't the, doubt it at all. The world thing happened. Yeah. Guess yeah. what? The thing happened. Was, yeah. In March, right? Yeah. It was already positioned yeah. online and many people needed to get online. So my business did not falter and I really got down on my hands and knees and thanks God for that because that was providential. Yeah. We were like, whoa, that was a, whew, where would I be? I would have been in even deeper debt. So I had a bit of a shudder moment. When I thought of it, I thought, oh, wow, it was really good. I was positioned because then a lot more people were like, how are you doing this? And I didn't miss a beat. And I also helped a lot of my clients not sort of, you know, you know, people were brainwashed about the whole world doesn't have money right now. And, and some of my clients had their best month in March during that first month. Was yeah, their yeah. Best month. 
yep. ever. I said, no, that does not mean a thing. People still need your help. So I had to turn up as a leader then. Um, so that was what happened. So I get, I get, so getting back to your story, how do you do that? You get one potato, high ticket. You figure out who really, 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 really needs and wants and is going to pay for it because it's going to change their life. Not a lukewarm, oh, I guess I could buy that. It has to be. That's going to change my life and I'm going to pay you high ticket for that because there's value, such value that I'm going to, it's worth the high ticket. And, and that's the shift is a lot of people get online and they just want to sell something, but they're not thinking of their avatar. Their avatar has to really want it enough to buy it, not just because you want to feel like being a metaphysical coach or whatever. Does that make sense? It does. It has to be, in, in fact, it has to be dialed into a good marriage. That's yeah, what it has to be. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to dive deeper into this one because okay. at the moment we have a potato and mm -hmm. you're saying that people sometimes have two, three, four, five, six different products and they mm -hmm. have to find that one thing. So right. let's take it a little bit further. When I ask people, what do you do? Mm -hmm. They struggle like crazy mm -hmm. to tell me mm -hmm. what they do. Yes. Now, I would imagine that because you're thinking in this singular potato and narrow everything down, you also mm -hmm. get people to focus on what is it they do. Because mm -hmm. you have to know that in order to communicate it to others. Yes. So I'm going to the coach side of you now and I'm asking how, what tips can we give to get people to understand and to articulate what it is they do? You know, you must be psychic. Because <laughs> before I even got online, I would do whole workshops on that. Okay. How to dial in. I used to call it, um, I did it for NYU alumni. And they invited me in. And all of those people that had done, you know, masters at New York University had never heard this before. And I'm going to give you my simple formula right now. I'm ready. That was how to optimize your pitch, I called it, because it was about online, you know, offline marketing then. It was because I used to go to these networking events and people would be like, I'd say, what do you do? Oh, well, I do this and I do that. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm already bored and I'm <laughs> confused. Right? And, and, I, you know, and then the card would have five different things on it. And I'm like, whoa, this is the problem. So... I got to be an expert at how to perfect your intro, I called it. That was it. Meaning when you meet somebody, I used to call it pitch, but I didn't like that word, you know, elevator pitch. I didn't like that. So I said intro. Okay. And this is the formula. Okay. The formula, and I still use it online. The formula is two elements. I help XYZ. So you got to slot in. Who is that? Who are you helping? That's the avatar, niche, whatever, market. Now, some are more broader than others. I get it. Some people do more than one thing. And I actually do have another offer that's not for coaches, but I don't tell the coaches about that. I do a very high end, high end coaching offline for icon CEOs, which is basically leadership, you know, crisis management, business, whatever. That's extremely expensive. Am I going to tell the coaches about that? No, <laughs> it's not part of this offer. So I do have another offer, but it's not confusing because I'm not showing anybody that. However, getting back to my formula, because I digressed. I help XYZ people to get XYZ results. That is it. And if you can't fit those two things together, you're in trouble. 
because now when I because I have this container of that, it forces people to fill in the blanks. And if they they go off, like, wait, that's that's no. There's just two. There's two spaces there. Who are you helping, and what are you doing for them? That's it. This sorts a lot of problems out, because then the the free for all blabbing that people do, blah blah blah, all all over the place, where you're bored. Because a human being now with social media literally has like a three seconds attention span. So yeah. if you can't explain it in three to five seconds, you're in trouble. They're already somewhere else, especially on Instagram. <laughs> that is the most ADD. ADHD, you know, platform ever. You got to like get it out there. Okay, so, now let's it, let's take it a little bit deeper. Then, sure. Your two-step formula mm-hmm. has intent. It has a purpose. Purpose. So once you've finished saying, "I do this for this person," this result. Mm-hmm. What's its intent? What's its intent. purpose? The intent is what I call, this is what I call a dolphin call. I made that up. You see, this is the deal. In marketing, I don't want the whole world to hear me because the whole world does not care about John Amore. Only my market cares about what I'm going to give. So, for instance, I need to know that coaches, consultants, and certain service providers, because they're kind of in the same group sometimes, they need to know I'm their gal, Right. But instead, if I'm average, like average people that don't understand marketing that want to, whenever somebody says I'm casting a wide net, you know what I do? I shudder. Because that just means they're not clear on what they're doing for somebody. And they think, because they heard that somewhere, and somebody said cast a wide net, they think that means just service a lot of people with a lot of things. That's just fear because they are not dialed in and they're scared about what if I'll lose money if I don't offer this, 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 and this. Right, Jeff? Yeah, yeah. So, right. So, the intent is to polarize. You're polarizing the people that don't want you because they're not going to hear your dolphin call. They're not dolphins. The minnow are not going to hear the dolphin call. The sharks are not going to hear the dolphin call. But you don't care about them. You don't want a shark or a minnow at this point. You want the dolphins because they're your people. And they're on the same frequency. And I use dolphins because dolphins do call to each other in a certain frequency. So what you're doing here is you're saying, I don't care about all those sharks and whatever and other sea life. I just want my dolphins because those are the people I care about serving because they are the people I serve. So when you lose the fear of having the whole world love you because the whole world's not going to love you and they don't care. Okay, I'm being really like blunt here, but it's true. Okay, it is true. Not everybody cares. The only people that care are the people that need your help. And all they care about is what Seth Godin used to talk about, WIIFM radio. What's in it for me? Okay, so now you've, you've figured out, I'm a dolphin. I want to get the other dolphins to hear my frequency of how good I am and the goodness they're going to get from my service. So you need to make sure that they are hearing the words they need to hear to understand you're their gal or guy. That's all. And when you lose all the other extraneous, like nonsensical things going through your head because they don't matter because somebody told you once on a marketing podcast that you got to throw a wide net, you've got to stop. People have got to stop listening to general information. Okay. And they've got to understand they got to, you know, they should, I invite them to, they can, if they wish, um, what works is focus, you know, and I'm not saying you can't have more than one offer. It's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that if you really want to crush this organic game with a, a coaching offer, 
You're better off starting with one. And then I have two now because I have a year offer now, which naturally happened because people want to also do another year because then I do other long-term strategies to build it into a high six, seven figure business, which I can't do in 12 weeks. I can't build something from nothing to a seven figure business in 12 weeks. Nobody can, you know, that would be like, you know, miracle and I'm, I'm good, but let's be realistic. Right? So, so that's, that's the intent is to polarize and to captivate your audience. I don't like that word, your avatar, because it's one person. So that they're like, oh, hang on, I'm swimming around and wait, oh, what did I hear? You're going to help me and I'm a coach. That's me. So, and I turned mine around. You can also see XYZ people hire us too. You can turn it around just so they're both in there. So mine says visionary, because I only care about people. I only want coaches that have a heart and want to help other people. So I qualified mine visionary coaches. They're like, oh, Yeah, I'm visionary. I care about people. So I qualified that in one word. Took me a while. Visionary coaches hire us, me or us, to help build their six to seven figure coaching business. So you're you're a dolphin who's a coach. Oh, wait a minute. Visionary coaches. Oh, that's me, because I just don't don't care just about money. But I do want to make money. And she's going to help me build a six or seven figure business, by the way, that says in the caption. Quickly, simply with no tech or ads or drama, because I put that underneath. They're like, well, yeah, let me think about this. I'm a coach. I'm a visionary coach. I want to do this without ads, no drama and quickly. And I want to get to six or seven figures. I'm in. Okay. So that's, I, I slowly figured that out and it works. And I'll, I'll change this every now and then. But, but that's a good call to action. That's a good dolphin call. I've qualified my dolphins, you know, <laughs> that we care about impact and money. Because I don't want the people that are in denial about money. We all want to make money. And if they are like, oh, I just want to make impact. Well, I'm sorry, but you're lying because we all need money to live. And we all want to make money. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if they are not yet at the point of admitting they want money, I probably can't help them. Yeah. Right. I'm going to backtrack because there's some important things that we put in there. And you've... You, you were talking here about meeting someone at perhaps at a network meeting. So you come up to a stranger. Now, what we don't want to do when people say, hi, what do you do? You don't want to go blah, 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 and no. say everything because then, as you quite rightly say, they'll go, <sighs> gone asleep. And they say, hey, great meeting you. Okay, thanks. Bye. <laughs> That's what happens, right? Right, yeah. So what we actually want is to provoke a question with curiosity, which is what you've actually done. Yes, so yes. So we don't want to tell them what we do. We want them to ask us what we do. Yes, that, yes. That's, that's why I was asking about intent. Yes. Well, actually, when I was offline, because when you're meeting people, it's different, right? Yeah, yeah. People, actually, one of the longest clients I ever had uh, he, he was with me for six years. I met him at like a, an opening of a jewelry store that he had designed. He was an interior architectural interior design firm. And he met me and he said, hi, how are you? Who are you? I said, I'm great. He goes, what do you do? I said, I'm a business breakthrough coach. So I, I, I said that first. I'm a big business breakthrough coach and I help small businesses to explode their sales and profits. And I shut up. 
Yeah, that okay. was like five. Seconds. Right. Now, now this is really, really important, and it, it it's a it's a point I want to pause on here because you've made your dolphin call because if if someone has heard your call, they're on the same frequency, and they go, mm -hmm. oh, the intent now is. For him to ask a question. Yeah, they need to ask a question. And that, <laughs> that is the intent. That, that is absolutely the yes. purpose. Because I shut up. Yeah. Because now they're intrigued. Business breakthrough. So they have a visual of a breakthrough. I did that on purpose. Business breakthrough. Already there's a visual. It's not just I'm a coach. Yeah. I'm a coach. There's no visual. I figured out I'm a business breakthrough coach. They're already seeing a breakthrough in their mind, a visual. I know that because I know about that. And then, and then I said, and I help small businesses. So that was my market because that was more than coaches. I did mm -hmm. do some coaches. I helped small businesses to explode their sales and profits done. Then he took a step back. He actually went, oh, and then he leaned back. He goes, how do you do that? And that was when I could go, well, yeah, like this, this and this, but I still didn't babble. I do this, this, and this. He goes, oh, sounds interesting. We should talk. Okay. So I let, I, I, I dropped it and I shut up. Now the problem with a lot of people, they don't know when to shut up. Now I talk a lot, but I know when to shut up. I know when I've said something and you wait, you wait for those people to have a chance to think, to give them a chance to have breathing space. Right? Absolutely. And it is so important. So what we have to do is decide who we are and what we do. We need mm -hmm. to get that over super fast mm -hmm. with the intent of the other person asking a question. Yes. Now, there's one other thing. Yeah, yeah. One other thing is very important that I missed. And, and I, I practiced this when I, I did all that. And that, that's one of the things I taught. You must be a thousand percent. Okay, not a thousand, a hundred percent confident and committed when you say those words you must have a hundred percent certainty that's the word a hundred percent certainty so i didn't say yeah i'm a business breakthrough coach and i uh, help people to you know <laughs> you know you see people do that yeah. they're like got their pigeon i said it with such direct certainty that he was so impressed he took a step back he did not expect that he expected me to waffle on, oh, yeah, well, you know, I do this, blah, 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 and chewing. And okay. I went, I looked him in the eye and I said, I'm a business breakthrough coach and I help small businesses to explode their sales. And I said it naturally, you know, it rolled off because I haven't said that in years now, like at least eight years, uh, no, at least four years. And he, he was like, wow, this person is so, and, and I think what's missing, the intention, which you asked before, which I forgot to say, is being 100%, have 100% certainty in what you're selling develop a hundred percent certainty in your manner how you speak was there anything i said on this call where i was kind of like maybe kind of helping people no i speak with such and people have told me that i speak with such resolution in my voice resoluteness was that word <laughs> resolution remember. will do yeah resolution well yeah, whatever um because I truly believe, and people say to me, well, wow, you're like so confident in what you do. I said, well, of course, I've done it hundreds of times, and there's social proof. Look at my reviews. So there's not even any convincing. Look at the reviews. Here they are, hundreds of people saying it worked, you know. So I can be. But even when I didn't have social proof and all that, I had 
proof that it works. I knew I, I help people coach. I'm a good coach. Um, so it was like, there's also that, the way you say it. Well, I'm, I'm going to pick up on that and backtrack because there's another bomb that you dropped right in there, yes. which was, you say, you have to believe what you're doing, say it with conviction and belief. Certainty. Yes. Certainty, for sure. I, I was just going to say, but mm. what's the secret to doing that? Ah. Ah, okay. okay. And then you said, I looked him straight in the eye, and then you carried on talking. And I thought, and there is the secret. Yes. Because I've met so many people that when they're giving this important, so important information, they don't look me in the eye. You know, mm -hmm. people shake hands, don't look each other in the eye. And that's such a big mistake. So that's why I wanted to go back and pick up on it. Mm. You can't be so convincing unless you're looking someone in the eye. Right. And on social media, guess what? Guess what you need in your profile shot? Yeah. You need people to see your eyeballs. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't know. So when people give me these shots of themselves looking down or, or I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Now on one of my Insta accounts, because I do have one where it's like looking because you know what, I, I have it on so many others. But the point is you can't have, you know, but, but the words on social media, you can still convey that. And I, you know, I worked hard that the words in my I help statement, people are not like, wow, she's not, there's like, they're like, wow, you're so confident the way you say that with, you know, simply quickly with no tech drama or ads. Simply quickly, they're like, simply quickly, no tech drama, because I don't like drama. That was only in my acting life I like drama. Zero drama, we just get you the help, no drama. No bad stories, no weird trauma from working with that bad coach. Yeah, yeah. So I put that there, because a lot of people, they don't want drama. They don't want the drama. It's like when, when I was getting married, it was so funny. I, I remembered this forever. We were looking at different florists, okay? And one florist, like, it was unbelievable. He was telling me his life story. And I'm like, I just want to get married and get flowers. We were like on a reel. It was quick. We, we, we had like 12 weeks to plan a whole like magical wedding. In, in, it was like in a, it was like a castle in, in Long Island. And I was like, nobody does that in 12 weeks because I'm bold and maybe a bit stupid. But we wanted to get that one date they had left for the year. So the guy, one of the, these flowers were thousands of dollars. I mean, this is not cheap, you know? And we did not have a cheap wedding. So I just, the, one of the guys was just telling, and I was, remember I was sitting there and I just thought, I just want to buy flowers. I just want the flowers. That's all I want. I don't want his life story. I don't want the fact that this, I don't want to hear about this. And he started telling me all his problems. And I was like, why is he doing this? So then the next florist, who is amazing, I said, okay, you're hired. And I said, you know why? He said, why? I said, I just want the flowers and no drama. And he laughed. He said, I know what you mean. He says, florists can be like, I said, why would they think that I want to hear all of that when I just want to get this going and I have the dress and ah, guests. And so that to me was so off-putting. I thought, whoa, I'm going to have to hear his life story and dramas while I pay for these expensive flowers. And now I have another thing in my brain, which has nothing to do with me. Which I can't, I can be very single-minded. I thought, I can't do that. I can't do the drama. And I said to the floor, he cracked up. I said, you're, you're hired. I said, because I just want the flowers and no drama. And he goes, I get what you're saying. So I never forgot that because people, when they're coaching with somebody, 
They don't want the drama. They want the help. They want you to get where they say you're going to go. They want you to deliver. And they don't want all those bad experience dramas that the coaches do. They don't want it. And that's why I put with no drama. It's a flower story. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I'm going to backtrack on something else very important that you said. Mm -hmm. When you said... When I used to say hello and I built the formula and I, I honed it and I got it to this and, and you said, you said, it took me a while. I, I can't let that go because lots of people think they can do this quickly. Mm-hmm. And to say who you are and what you do, you might not be able to do in two, three minutes. And mm. a lot of people trying to do it in two, three minutes probably realize they can't and then give up. Or they babble and they, they're okay. Mm. Like I, I do help people actually, I, I'll give you an example. You can do it in a few minutes. If somebody's telling you how to do it and they're working yeah, with yeah. you and mentoring you. One client came in and in 20 minutes, I got all that sorted, everything. Cause I have them do a deep dive and I read what they're saying. I really want to intimately understand their business because you know, the other thing is business coaches that don't intimately understand the business of their clients inadvertently subconsciously neuter that business for their clients. I don't know if you know that fact. So I get a deep dive. I know exactly. And I say, okay, this is, this is what I suggest. And we work together and I did 20 minutes and I said, this is it. She goes, Oh my gosh. She goes, I've had three coaches in four years and they could never get that right. So it freed her to be able to get her potato because she didn't have the potato. She's like, Oh, I'm kind of selling this. And I don't really, I feel icky about saying that. I'm, I'm, uh, so unclear Four years three separate coaches. She goes, you figured that on 20 minutes. And then she went off and guess what? She was free to go get clients because she could convey the potato to the right people. So it can be quick if you have the right help. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay. I actually did this with you before I knew all of this stuff about you. So whilst we were having our introductory chat, I I did it with you, as I do with most people, uh, strangers who I didn't know. Mm-hmm. I And uh, I don't know whether you recall right now, it's been a while ago. I said, I'm Jeff Smith. My friends call me Jeff, mm-hmm. which does something immediately because you're going to call me Jeff, right? So mm-hmm. I say, my name's Jeff Smith. My friends call me Jeff, and mm-hmm. I'm affectionately known as the KPI guy. Mm-hmm. Now... And then I shut up and then people just, oh, right. So now if people are interested in key performance indicators and stuff, mm-hmm. it will prompt questions. It's usually, oh, I love KPI. What do you do? And then then you've got permission to share what you talk about. Exactly. And it works so well rather than saying, this is me, blah, 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 blah. KPIs are this and that means this and this yeah, and this. Yeah, 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 yeah. You, you just have to get it down to a single sentence, get it quick, pause with the intent of them asking a question if they're interested in what it is that you do. That's smart also because you are immediately, you're immediately gauging their sophistication level about yeah. marketing. Because yeah. some people say to you, what's a KPI? Yeah. Yeah. So by doing that, you're immediately putting them in a batch. Yeah. 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 So the the intent for me is to find the dolphins and then get them to ask you questions and and then away you go. 
Yeah. That should be it. And then you're in a conversation, a, any kind of conversation in a box. I call it a box, a box, whether it's on social media, whether it's on a sales call, whether it's in a podcast, whether it's you know at a networking event, whether it's in a messenger conversation. There are all these different boxes where we communicate and it's all a conversation. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you coach coaches, trainers, people like that. What would you say are the perhaps the top three big mistakes that most training organizations and coaches make? Okay, so I'm not really working with training organizations, just to be really clear. Sure. I'm working with coaches who have their own business, so solopreneurs, they might have a few people working for them, and also consultants who also are like coaches, but I say consultants because sometimes they're not actual coaches, but consultants, coaches, mentors, people that have their own business where they're getting their own clients. That's that's who I coach. So it's not really the, the training organization, um, just to be really clear. So number one mistake is trying to piece things together with freebies. Number one mistake. But why? Because, because what I said before, nothing's more valuable than time. And I will pay so much money to get that one piece of information that might save me two months. <clears throat> because what you don't know is hurting you. And you can't know everything, but you want to kind of know enough that you feel like, well, it's kind of dialed in. I got a, enough information to get me to the next, you know, next level. So this whole thing, now, do I give freebies away? Sure. Do I say this is going to get you there? No, because then you wouldn't need to hire me. It would be like, just take my freebie. But we all know that a freebie is not going to get you there. However, people do not invest in themselves enough. And they are wasting their time because the fact is, if you get the real information and somebody helps you get your first three clients at 5K, now you've made 15K. And let, let's say you did that in a month. Well, that means if you did not do it, you've lost 15K in that month. And then the next month, presumably, you have a system in place, which you are going to rinse and repeat. So now you've lost maybe 30K, depending on how much. So let's say you say, hey, Jean Amlor, I'm going to work with you, but I'm going to wait, as one person said. I'm going to wait till I save it all up because I don't want to put it on credit. Guess how long it's been? It's been three years. So she's lost three years, and she's still absorbing my freebies. So I'm just sat here thinking, I'm sat here, so I want to just do a nod to the Brits. I'm sat here <laughs> thinking that's not good business. That's not good business strategy. So that's a big problem is not getting as much information as soon as possible to get those clients and just save time and build momentum quicker. Okay. Yeah. So we've spoken about a face-to-face introduction to a stranger. Mm-hmm. What about online introduction to a stranger? Well, it has to be, you know, the thing is this, it's same but different. Again, you know, like I said, they're not going to see. So I found that mixing voice messages when you're talking to somebody in Messenger humanizes it because, as you know, the, uh, the, the highest resonance is in person and the second highest resonance is on video and the third highest resonance is voice. The fourth is just messaging, emails, and, you know, test, just text alone. Mm-hmm. So you want to get the resonances in there, you know, as much as you can to the higher levels. So voice works well where they're, okay, it's a human being. They hear the tenor of your voice or the timbre of your voice, I should say. Um, no, it is tenor as well, right? Um, and they're getting a better sense of you than just text. So, um I feel like if you just treat people online like human beings, it's always a good way. And I teach soul-to-soul communication online, where it's 
we've got to stop looking at people just as KPIs, you know, like that. Got to do your numbers. But when you dehumanize any of your, um, you know, instances of communication or, or I say events of communication with people, you're already behind the eight ball. If you understand, and a lot of people can't get this, that no, you're not online, so now you're some spammy person mess- messaging somebody or, or, you know, when you bring in your humanity online as if you're offline, that's that's a, a, a good technique, I would say. Okay. So when you're getting ready to put a new campaign together, what do you do to get inspired? Uh, what do you mean by campaign? I want you to actually qualify what you mean by sure. campaign. Sure. Um, let's say that you decide that you want to go out to reach more, uh, mentors, more coaches, uh, and you think, okay, how are we going to reach more people? Hmm. So uh, let's call that a campaign for now. Okay. That is, that is a new marketing strategy or like a new launch. Okay. So what I do, I actually have a video of this on, on, uh, Instagram. I've, I boiled down, apart from the whole, um, there's different systems, right? You you overlay systems. So there is a system of organic that you do certain things. But then I realized there is a business structure system that I realized I was doing, and I actually broke it down the other day. And I call it the triangle. Okay, so there's a triangle. And I realized what I did was this. I got a potato, and I sold it over and over again, okay? And then I kept selling it, and I kept selling it. That's the triangle. Potato over and over, sustain it, build it. Okay. Then I go back to the top of the triangle. I add a new platform and then I get clients. I master it. I sell it over and over again. So what I'm doing is I'm doing a triangle. So you you do the, the potato, as I said, you sell it over and over, you make it sustainable. You keep doing it. You get back up to the top, you add a new. So to me, it's just like overlaying the triangle over and over again. Okay, so what I do is I situate, I figure out what's the next plan of attack. So I'll give you a real real life example. Started on Facebook, mastered it. I didn't do what everybody said to do. I ignored them when they said, oh, you got to write a book right now and you got to start a podcast right now and you got to get on YouTube right now. You got to, and they're all telling me things. And you know, if they could understand all those different people, all the voices, you got to do it. And mind you, the people telling me this were not as successful as me. I'm like, well, why would I listen to somebody who's clearly scattered when I'm not, and I'm focused on making money, and I'm grateful. So I'm like, wait, this is so simple what I'm doing. Sell the potato over and over and over and over again, get it sustainable. Then I'm a master. So now I have now released bandwidth from my psychic energy that now, or mental energy, whatever you want to call it, now I'm a master. It's not as hard for me anymore. Now I created some bandwidth, right? You know, when you first do something, it's like, oh, how do I do this? Now I've got, ba- got some wiggle room here. There's some sand in between those big rocks. Okay, now I'm going to go for, and then I added LinkedIn, but I did not drop the ball or the plate. I was still doing my triangle, back and forth, sell, sell, sell. Then I integrated LinkedIn and got help because I thought, well, how am I going to do this? Now, my strategy is always, how can I integrate something new without dropping the ball? How can I do it without dropping the ball? I don't just go experiment like other people. How can I do it without, no, am I going to drop the ball? Hmm. Is it going to, yeah, if it's going to drop the ball, I'm not doing it right now. And somebody offered me something and I said, nope, it'll drop the ball on the current thing I'm doing. It'll drop the ball. So I'm not doing that. He goes, well, when I said, I don't know, I just know that my plate is full with my new strategy. And if I go do yours, that will suffer 
And I've invested a lot of money in this strategy. So no, and not many people know how to say no to a JV, to a da-da-da. And sometimes you might think that a JV is working, but it's actually not. I'll tell you why. So say I do a JV with somebody and I get two clients. Yay, I got two clients. But what suffered to get those two clients? The time and energy? If too much time and energy was taken away from what's already working, well, I potentially would have maybe gotten four clients just continuing what I was doing. Therefore, I've lost two clients. Nobody thinks this way. They just look at the instant. Well, I did the JV and I got two clients. Whoa, 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 big picture. But you were already working. You would have gotten four and you only got two there because you had to split your time and got two in each. Therefore, it wasn't actually a good JV, right? So nobody thinks this way. So I'm also helping them to think like a business person. It's not just the organic. It's about the structure. So to answer your question, when I am going to add another marketing avenue campaign, I think really quick, I, I really make sure the pieces are in place first, that nothing that I'm doing will be damaged that that clockwork is still going to be going and it won't make anything that I've already got in place suffer. That is how I think. And then you build bandwidth because you hire more people and then you can outsource certain things. And if something I'm outsourcing doesn't affect us, sure, I'll pay that extra SEO person because I'm not having to do any work, right? Right, absolutely. That's how I think. I think, is it going to take time, energy, lose clients' money? Hmm, no. Uh, maybe an hour getting set up, sure, I could do that, you know give them the information they need, but then they're doing it. Sure. But if it's me invested and I do have to invest myself in new strategies because I have to create content, I'm doing a big Instagram strategy right now, which we're really having to fit in, to be honest. So I'm not going to take another single thing right now. Well, I think you've done awesome. I'm not going to mention your age because you've already mentioned it. Right, let's work it out. 54 plus 3 up 57, folks. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So it's never, ever too late to begin anything, is it? It's never too late. And actually, when you look at people that were even older than me, like... Um, like me? You know, <laughs> no, I'm talking about... Well, okay, I guess you're older. Um, you know, Frank Lloyd Wright. You know, he, he became famous. Actually, I think he was something like 80 or 70. When he started doing... He became famous from those houses he did. And he was on Time Magazine. I think he was over 70 when he actually actually really had, he had already been, had a one career and then he had big disaster in his life. And then he, he, he kind of faded for many years. Then he came back at the age of 70 something, I believe it was. And that is when he got on Time Magazine and became actually famous, was the second career. It's fascinating, actually. It so is I'm such a shame though, huh? Oh yeah, you know what you know what happened with his family, right? Um, so he lost all of his family in a fire. It was horrible. Um, but though the point is, I mean, people that are older than me, like one of my clients was sixty-five, and I got helped her get her first thirteen thousand dollar client in three weeks after years of trying. So, I mean, I'm just saying, even if you're seventy or eighty, I mean, you still could become. You know, because people that are older than me are thinking, well, you're not that old, but you know, it's all relative, right? Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. Okay, we're coming to the end of our program now. Unfortunately, I'd love to go on for more. But I've got a, an off piste question for you. It's a question that I ask every guest. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. What is the most important thing you have ever learned? 
The important thing is to keep going no matter what. Keep going no matter what, no matter how you're feeling, no matter what's going on, just keep going in some way, shape, or form, you know, as you can, depending on where you are in your life, just keep going. I love that. So if someone needs to reach out to you for some help, how do they do that? How do we contact you? Well, they can find my name, which is J-E-A-N-N-E. I'm, I'm assuming you'll have my name spelled correctly, O-M-L-O-R. It's very simple. My website is jeanomelor.com. Uh, my Instagram is jeanomelor. My Facebook is jeanomelor. LinkedIn is jeanomelor. All you have to do is have to know my name and you'll find me. I guess it's wonderful having a unique name. A little different being Jeff Smith. <laughs> right. I'm guessing there might be one other guy named Jeff Smith in the world, right? <laughs> might be just one, but I do have jeff-smith.com. So that, that works out okay. That's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> well, you've been wonderful. I've really enjoyed your time. I think you're amazing. Your energy oh. just hasn't faltered and your confidence is wonderful. Shannon Lord, thank you so much. You've been amazing. Well, this has been actually a pleasure to rehash my life, actually. It's been kind of cathartic in a way. Oh, lovely. I'm glad you've enjoyed it too. And for you, the listener, thank you for listening to Secrets of Success. I hope the show has helped to ignite your passion, to be a catalyst for action, to keep on going no matter what. And it's giving you the fuel that you need to realize your dreams. If you've enjoyed the show, please hit the follow button, leave a review. And here's the thing. I'd like you to share it. Even if it's just one person, share this episode with just one person. You never know the difference it will make to someone's life. Right, that's right. Absolutely. And of course, we can't succeed without your help. So please go ahead, hit the follow button, like, review, and most important, share the episode. On another note, I'm always searching for great success stories. So if you'd like to be a guest on the show, or you'd like to nominate a guest, please contact me at our website at jeff-smith.com. You know, I really would love to hear from you. So thank you again, Jean and Laura. That's all from me. Thank you and have a great day. Yeah.